Welcome to Conservative Patriot Nation, new members and returning members. Tonight we are bringing you another fantastic show with a fantastic patriot. But before we start the show, I'd like to recognize a couple of our sponsors. I'd like to recognize MyPillow.com, Mike Lindell and MyPillow, a guy that's been on the front lines fighting just like the patriot we have on tonight, Ricardo. And Mike Lindell has a lot of great products from organic coffee without all the nasty preservatives in the coffee. He has very comfortable slippers. And um, I got a pair at home, and I'll tell you, they're very comfortable. And uh, you can try to prove me wrong. But if you go to MyPillow.com and use promo code CPNN, you'll get up to 66% off your purchase. And last but not least, I'd like to recognize the late, great Dr. Zelenko. Dr. Zelenko left us some immune system bullets to fight any bioweapon pandemic known to come our way. And if you go to zstack.com and use promo code CPN, you'll get 5% off your purchase. And now with further ado, I'd like to introduce Ricardo Bosi, a veteran, a patriot, a voice, in this movement, it takes voices that are strong, that will be heard. You can't have a weak voice in the middle of a, a war. You know, we're in an informational war, and there's a war going on behind the scenes. And it's well, about, a, about a, two years ago, I, I seen a video with Ricardo, and I'm like, oh, my God. And I remember at the time, I'm like, I would love to bring this patriot on. Oh my God, I, you know, cause we, we've heard all the bad things that were going on in Australia. And I'm telling you, there's many times where we said prayers for the people in Australia, cause we would see videos with these, these housing camps getting put up and we're hearing that they're being held prisoner. And it sucks that you guys are so far away. Um, cause I'm sure many of us would, would have been heading over there. And when I seen your, you and your voice, I'm like, wow, there's there's light at the end of the tunnel for those people because I was seeing so many bad things. And it's an honor and it's a pleasure to have you on here with us. And I wanna thank you and thank you and thank you, Ricardo. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. How are you doing, sir? Oh, your mic's muted still, Ricardo. We'll start that again. <laughs> Thank you, sir, for that very kind introduction. Uh, it's an absolute privilege and pleasure to be here um, speaking to the United States. I love it. Thank you. Absolutely, Ricardo. For some of the members that are not familiar with you, if, if you can get a quick uh, background um, and explain the or give a little background of yourself with the, the members that are not familiar with you. Sure, absolutely. Um, 24 years in the Australian Army, retired in 2004 uh, as a Lieutenant Colonel in Special Ops, served with the Special Air Service Regiment, Commando Regiment, Headquarters Special Forces, as well as mechanized units and straight leg infantry units, so a broad experience base. Um, deployed overseas, different jobs, different places. And uh, most recently, I spent five years in the Middle East, 
in the United Arab Emirates as a contractor. They call us contractors now, and I was a, a long-term advisor to them, to their Special Operations Command, and I was doing... I was tasked initially to plan operations against their adversaries, uh, as well as high-level strategic planning frameworks, high-level capability development frameworks, that sort of headquarter-level work, as well as training up their, their special forces, get them up to speed and deployed with them to Afghanistan. Came back to Australia with my bride and our two daughters who were actually born in Abu Dhabi, the capital of the UAE, which was a fantastic experience. They... Uh, they love families. The Emiratis, families are number one, and so we were very fortunate to, to have our two daughters born there. Came back to Oz, and we were dismayed at the collapse of the country because it's the old boiling frog syndrome. If it happens gradually, you don't see it. But we came back, and my wife and I looked at each other and said, we've got to do something about this. The country is going to, going to the dogs. And so I ran as a Senate candidate for the Australian Conservatives, but that, that failed experiment was disbanded. And as so often happens, there was a group of us sitting in a kitchen, five of us, in fact, and we said, look, there's still a fight to be had. Somebody's got to do something, and we're somebody, so let's do it. And so we started uh, this organisation called Australia One three years ago now, and we have grown in, in size and support over the last three years. And our job is very, very simple, and this will set the tone for the rest of the discussion. But as a political organisation, most people want to win elections. Well, that's that's a means to an end. It's not an end for us. Our intention is very simple. It comprises three parts, purpose, method, end state. Our purpose is to save Australia. Simple as that. The method is to create a moral political party that empowers every Australian to reach their highest individual potential so collectively all can participate in the reformation of Australia. And that's key. And our end state, this is our measure of effectiveness. This lets us know when we're successful. Australia is a moral, sovereign, self-reliant Christian Western democracy, which is economically powerful, militarily intimidating, politically free, culturally vibrant and socially cohesive. So that's a big statement and uh, and we're into it. And so we've been doing this now three three years uh, as Australia won, but being on the game, I guess, which is an unfortunate turn of phrase, but since 2007, that was my wake-up call way back when. And we now have a magnificent organisation, uh, and I'm just the lucky guy surrounded by the most talented individuals, talented individuals, but we'll talk about that as we go. So that's who I am. Our job is to save Australia, and I'd like to thank all the Americans for everything you've done to set the example of how this has got to be done. So thank you, one and all. Wow, it's, it's wow, definitely an honour. When... When did you start realizing that there was a massive corruption going on in Australia? Yeah, 2007 was my wake up. It was, uh, and the entree was dealing with the family court system. And I'll give you the short version. I thought to myself, well, you know, I've, I've done nothing wrong. This is going to be easy. Um, shared 50% shared parental custody and responsibility. But it took seven years and half a million dollars, which I didn't have. At one point, I was so broke, I had to represent myself. Seven or eight, no, eight years it was. Eight years and half a million dollars to finally get custody of my son. And the experience of realizing that the entire edifice of the government was designed to crush me, even though I was innocent of everything. And so diving down that particular rabbit hole, as we know, one of the goals is to destroy the family and remove the biological father from the family because that it's easier to break up. 
that was the beginning. And when I realized and I dived into it and, and I started looking under every rock and one by one by one, then the pedophilia revealed itself. And then the satanic ritual abuse appeared. And then the secrets, the role of secret societies uh, revealed itself. And so it's been this, this journey over 15 years, realizing that most of what we've been told is a lie. And uh, if we don't wake up, it'll continue. Yeah, you know, I, I, I've done several interviews with parents that were dealing with uh, CPS and hearing some of these stories, it's it's really draining on the heart. And it's just really, it's really wild because you, you look at them entities as a kid, like they're there to help to protect the kids that are in need. And then as deep as the rabbit hole you start going, you start realizing, wait a minute, these people cannot be human. So uh, wow, I really feel for you. And I, I, I tip my hat that you got your son back because some of these people, they never even get to see their kids again. I mean, it's, it's really crazy the amount of evil that we have everywhere, not just America. I mean, it's over there as well. It's where these these organizations, I mean, how do you see them going down in the near future? Well, the good news is once we realize that every aspect, every every leadership group of every aspect of the country is in the hands of secret societies of bad people, that's the nicest way you can put it. Once we realize that they are all corrupted, then at least we know the scope of the problem. And thankfully, the White Hats have been taking them out over the in Australia, certainly for the last 10 months, because we were warned in oh, <laughs> February this year that there were going to be counterterrorism exercises on the east and west coast. <laughs> they go for 10 months. And I, I explained to people, you don't have counterterrorism exercises going for 10 months. What's happening is they're arresting people and they're doing it on the quiet. And so these people are slowly being removed. And so the problem is not so much winning this war, which is being done by the uh, the White Hats, by the military, ostensibly mainly by the US, thank goodness. And it's a war that started, this phase of the counteroffensive started back when Kennedy was shot. So 60 years, this last counteroffensive phase, it's been fought much longer than that. But they've been working uh, in a subterranean way, both metaphorically and literally, taking out the mechanisms, the systems in place, which the, the black hats have been using to run the planet. And so what our job is, is to win the peace. They're going to win the war for us. Then we have to be worthy of it and win the peace and put in put into place alternative systems, removing the, the current crop of failed and corrupt leadership. And when I say every aspect, I mean it. The polity, the judiciary, the bureaucracy, the military, the constabulary, academia, media, big business, big unions, every church, synagogue, lodge, mosque and temple, all of them have been penetrated by secret societies, predominantly in Australia being the Masonic filth, as we call them, and they're everywhere. They're like termites. Every beam in the house has been gnawed away at. And so if you, if you try to do it too quickly, the whole house will come down. So one by one by one, we have to replace the beams. But the trick here is it's the people. We don't just replace the beams with honest people in a, in a corrupt system. We have to rebuild Australia from the ground up. And the Americans have shown us the way. Your, your founding fathers and I lean heavily upon their experience. You've shown us the way to do it, to keep sovereignty, to keep political power as close to the people as possible. So it makes it more difficult 
to to uh, allow tyrants to take over. Australia geographically is about the same size as the United States, a bit smaller. And you've got, I think, 330 odd million people in the US. We have 25 million. So it's a lot easier for them to take control of this country. Few states, very few levers, and say so they've got in. And so we're going to, uh, they're going to be taken out and we're going to rebuild this country in a way that will make it impossible for tyrants to ever do this again. Absolutely. I think the most important thing is, you know, you got to clean house and, and replace them with good souls. And at the end of the day, the most important thing that needs to be activated worldwide is accountability. The problem is there's no accountability. I mean, when I look at your, you you were running for a position and a lot of Americans think that, you know, well, they're starting to wake up that there's fraud going on everywhere, but I mean, your your run for a position, there was fraud there too. Can you explain the corruption behind all that? Well, we've, we've contested several elections and like yours, in fact, your FBI, CIA have been interfering with our elections for decades as well. So we haven't had a free and fair election since forever. Now, what that means is that every politician, every prime minister, every leader of the opposition, every senator, every member of parliament is guilty of treason. You can go back 40 years at least, all guilty of treason. And so this, this corrupted system, whilst we contested the election, we understood the election was, was bent. And it wasn't so much about winning because you can't win with a corrupted system. That, that just indicates the evidence. That provides the evidence to us. And we've had, I think I've contested four elections now. And the system has revealed levels of corruption which are just amateurish. At least in the US, you guys are a little bit sophisticated. But our, <laughs> our corrupt, corrupt election officials are so amateurish. I'll give you an example. We, in the state of Victoria, which is the southeast, southeasternmost uh, state of the country, they had a state election uh, last month. And the scrutineers came in to watch the counting. And what the, the corrupted Victorian Electoral Commission staff had done, they'd opened all the ballot boxes and laid out all the, the ballots and counted them and put them in piles and said, here we go, there's 100 here, 100 here, 100 here. And uh, the scrutineers were just allowed to see piles of pre-counted ballots. Uh, <laughs> Australia is like, as corrupt as is, New York is at least sophisticated. Well, we're like that country town where you've got the the compromised judge, the corrupt sheriff, and the and the casino owner that runs the whole town. That's what we're like. That's the level of sophistication we have. And so this whole system is corrupted. The, the elections are corrupted. But what it's doing, as I said, it's allowing us to identify where the problems are, the evidence that is there. And that evidence will lead to, and we can talk about this if you wish, potential courses of action open to us to save the country. Absolutely. You know, and, and some of the things that I've witnessed here in America before I was totally awakened to all of it is I'm glad that this has happened. I had to see it. You know, many of our family and friends that we're trying to wake up that they don't listen to us and they say, oh, I got to see it to believe it. You know, they're, oh, that's a conspiracy to where that stuff that the Australian people are witnessing is not a conspiracy. The stuff that we are seeing in our court system in New York and California, it's not a conspiracy. It's in our face. 
And I, I think it's a good thing. Uh, what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, you're right. The and this is a there's a biological basis to this. So you can only get angry with the people that won't wake up to a limited degree, because the default setting for the human, a, a brand new baby, the amygdala in the brain, that part of the brain, its default setting is to trust. It trusts mum and dad, and so that's why they want to keep us in this perpetual adolescence, this perpetual childhood, because we just keep trusting everybody. Now it gets to a point where to challenge that trust is to is to challenge your complete view of the planet. Everything about your life is now at risk, and this becomes a uh, a survival game now. Because to admit that you are living a lie, to admit that you are not what you think you are, to admit that everybody around you has been lying to you, is 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 it's almost suicidally dangerous to consider that. But this is catastrophically. Dangerous, but manifestly important. We must begin to distrust because trust is the default setting. We must learn to distrust. And as the truth comes out over the next few months, and, and my, I anticipate the next three months is going to be quite exciting, and then it's going to accelerate. So buckle up and, 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 and get ready for a bumpy ride. And as evidence of that, what I say to the Australian people is mainstream media, Tucker Carlson, Fox News, has um, RFK Jr., there indicating that yep the cia was involved in jfk's assassination now you would never have heard that six months ago a year ago five years ago at all this is evidence that the truth will come out and they're going to pick those emotionally charged issues which with which the people are familiar and they have to do this in a measured way to slowly reveal the truth because if the truth came out in one fell swoop the people would 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 fall into catatonic states. That'd be that the it'd be have a psychotic effect on them. It is just going to be too much psychologically because most people are not all that robust. They just aren't. That's that's human nature. And on top of that, you've got this incapacity that they've bred into us through MK Ultra and just advertising and all sorts of nonsense and food poisoning and all the rest of that they've been doing to us. And so. They thought they were going to win with this. What they underestimated was the fighting spirit that, that resides in every human heart to a more or less degree. And there are enough of us who are ready to fight, not because we want to, but maybe because we're trained to, and maybe even more importantly, we realize that we have to. You know, absolutely. Um, <laughs> my family is, is really starting to wake up um but i've heard through um there's times where i would try to wake them up and then i would hear the backlash of man there's nothing that we could do about it why are you wasting all your time you know i want to live my life blah 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 and i'm like do you do you not understand or realize that there will not be no future for your kids and unborn grandkids like we we have to get involved if it's just sharing information if it's doing a podcast um going out in the community and 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 speaking truth like some of these people they just really don't get the severity of the situation that we're in and when the kabang starts happening, I, you know, I, they're going to they're gonna have to have a rude awakening for those that are just not trying to listen. 
And um, yep. unfortunately, I think in Australia and America, there's going to be a lot of people on that boat. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely correct. And that statement, what can I do? I'm only one person said 25.69 million Australians, or in your case, 330 million Americans. We said this a long time ago. The moment we stand up, we win. Because there aren't enough police. There aren't enough jails to stop us. We uh, There was a call out to attend a, a rally in, in Canberra. That's our nation's capital at the beginning of this year. Prompted by a uh, the Canadians with their truck rally and then an Australian decided he was going to do the same and the call went out. And conservatively, now, now we're a very sparsely populated uh, country and yet we managed to get somewhere between two and three million people in the nation's capital to protest and, and, and some are still there, believe it or not. Ten months later, there's about a dozen of them still there. But we stayed there uh, for months on end and it was the largest political rally in Australia's history. Now, three million people, two million people is not a lot, a lot compared to the US. But when you've got a, a population of 25.69 million, that's pretty impressive stuff. And so, as I said to them at the time, if we have a rally and a thousand turn up, then we've got a problem. If 10,000 turn up, the police get a problem. If 100,000 turn up, the politicians got a problem. And if a million turn up, we win. Well, we got our two to three million. And that gave us a lot of strength it it, uh, it it put the bad guys on the back foot. Our Australian Broadcasting Corporation, the ABC, otherwise known as the Australian Bolshevik Collective, reported something like 10,000 people turned up, <laughs> which was just funny. It was, you know, the, the, the Australian Capital Territory Police, our federal police reported 1.4 million additional cars entered the territory that day. And so conservatively, what, two to three million people turned up. But what it did was it emboldened the Australian patriots and it terrified, I mean terrified, the Masonic filth and the people, the secret societies that run Australia. They realised that this was not going to be the walkover they thought it was. And so whilst there wasn't an immediate win, let's say, we certainly landed on the beaches of Normandy, to, to use one of my favourite um, analogies, and we got a foothold and we're now making our way and we have been making our way east fighting the bad guys as we go and the numbers drop and, and and people get busy and whatever but we're still here and the other good part let me just throw this in what's fantastic is the bad guys were so terrified they rolled out all their trolls and controlled opposition and i mean controlled opposition at that rally in canberra uh instead of having one stage uh one of our bloated political um, he owns a political party. His name's uh, Clive Palmer. He's a bloated pig of a man. He paid for an alternative stage to split the crowd, and then they pointed us out as the problem. Well, we're still there. We stayed, and we stayed, and they eventually left, and all the controlled opposition have now faded from centre stage and have drifted into irrelevance, and yet we're still here. And we're not just protesting. We're not just um, uh, having rallies. Now, that's interesting and important, but it's not enough. You know, we've been developing this organisation called Australia One with deep policy platforms that in a real practical sense will give power back to the Australian people from every aspect, from political power to financial power in a real hard, practical way. And so we've been driving forward, thrusting deep into enemy territory 
And let's just say, if we're not on the outskirts of Berlin, we're bloody close to, to continue that uh, that World War II analogy. We are deep in enemy territory. The uh, the White Hats are doing a magnificent job taking out the bad guys, and we are closer than we think. And this capacity, I'll just finish on this point, then we move on if you like. But this capacity to rally again, this is going to be critical over the next three, six months. When the call goes out, it'll be time to stand up one more time and let everybody know we're still here and we're going to do what has to be done. Hey, Ricardo, I just want to let you know the floor is yours. Whatever information that you can give to the people, um, there's no time limit. So keep feeding as much as you need. <laughs> Okay, but no, just throw throw any question you like before we go to the Q and A session, because there's a lot a lot to cover. I will throw this one in if I could, please. Um, as we were saying before the show, I lean heavily on the American experience. Your founding fathers were extraordinary, extraordinary men. They really were. Notwithstanding whatever difficulties and, and disagreements they had, that's just life. And uh, we're leaning heavily on that to 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 create our new Australia. And the new Australia has to be a new country. We we have our our philosophical and uh, political roots go back to you know ancient Greek philosophy and mathematics and and Roman jurisprudence and law and English common law rights and Magna Carta and all of these things and they're wonderful and they should inform they should inform us and, and our future. But we lean, I lean more heavily on the American experience and in fact our constitution our 1901 constitution is referred to as a Washminster because it's part Washington and part Westminster from Great Britain. But we need a new one because it is abundantly clear that Australia's constitution, as it is, and it's been illegally amended, which is treason, our governments have been illegally amending our constitution without our authority. But it is inadequate for a 21st century Australia. It was a constitutional monarchy. And well, when the truth comes out about the royal family, whatever monarchists are left in Australia will be hiding. But what I would counsel the Americans, and forgive my impertinence in doing so, we are studying your experience, but unfortunately many of you have forgotten your own. And here's a book that, my goodness me, this is probably the most exciting thing I've read in a long time. And it's a very dry topic, and it's by Professor Thomas G. West of Hillsdale College, and I cannot recommend Hillsdale and Thomas West enough, please get on and study with them. But this is your history. This is the most comprehensive uh, analysis and record of how you got to where you are in terms of your constitution and the philosophical foundations of your nation, which is an example, an exemplar to the rest of the world. So please get this book, read it, study it, enjoy it. It is extraordinary. Now, most books for me, I use them as notes and I underline and I and I do all sorts of things. But this book, <laughs> for whatever reason, I'm treating it like it's it's extremely special, which it is. But please, I, I implore you Americans to rediscover the philosophical foundations of your nation because it is you and, and your founding fathers that have given us the ability to move forward, not only intellectually but in a physical sense too because in a very practical sense, your Second Amendment has saved the world. Without your Second Amendment, the US would have gone down. And if the US had gone down, the world would have gone down and we would have entered a thousand years of darkness without precedent uh, in, in global history. It is quite extraordinary. That Second Amendment of yours is absolutely vital. And whether you know this or not, if you take out the Democrat-controlled cities, 
<laughs> where gun control is the uh, the strongest. If you take out those lunatic cities, America is something. The United States, in terms of gun deaths, is somewhere 115, I think, out of all the nations on the planet. And these these facts need to be brought forward so people understand that importance of the right to free speech, your First Amendment, the right to bear arms, your Second Amendment, and the rest of them. There's a reason why they're there. So that's uh, if I could just make that that point, please rediscover your history. It is of such foundational importance to the rest of the planet. You are our example. Yeah, you know, and I agree. In Hillsdale University, I believe it's Hillsdale University. Um, everyone, I highly suggest to go check that out. It is free. It's free classes. Um, Rush Limbaugh used to talk about Hillsdale all the time. And it's very important to understand the constitutional rights and, and go back into that history. And I really appreciate you sharing that with everybody. And that's Hillsdale College, you know. Yeah, Hillsdale College, there we go. And now I'd like to play a, a little clip here and then come up with uh, another question I have for you. And Valerie, if you would like to play that clip. Absolutely. You are in the halls of Menti that are talked about in the Emerald Tablets. It's uh, it's uh, this. I'm sorry, I had that queued up, and when I hit the button, it went back to zero. So I'll go queue it up again. Yeah, it looks like uh, they're really trying to mess the chat up tonight. <laughs> That's all right. They won't succeed. That's all right. Take your time. No rush. Ricardo, would you mind explaining um, why there are still protesters and what they're doing in Canberra while Val's getting that clip up? Yeah, absolutely. They're there because they understand that they must continue to remind people that we haven't won yet. Because as as uh, as we started the protest back in in late January, early February, the controlled opposition tried to make it about the COVID restrictions alone. Oh, let's let's just stop the COVID restrictions. That's enough. Uh, go away. Come back at the end of March, and that was the beginning of our autumn, which means nobody would have turned up because it was going to be cold, wet, and miserable. So we knew what they were up to. They were trying to to change the narrative that it was only about the COVID restrictions, which were quite draconian, as we know. But as we explained again and again and again, this is nothing to. This is COVID. Just one aspect of this. And we predicted, and we were right. What they'll do is they'll they'll ramp back the COVID restrictions, lull everybody into a false sense of security, and then when the moment came, turn them back on again. And that's exactly what they did. And that's this is how the 
controlled opposition revealed themselves to everybody as they've done over this last 10 months. And so it wasn't about COVID. It was about a deeper issue and the solution to the to that issue. And the issue was the unconstitutional behaviour of the government. It had exceeded its and had been exceeding its lawful authority, its constitutional authority for decades. Our constitution requires a majority of states and a majority of people, votes, people, to amend the constitution. It's only been amended lawfully eight times. And yet, if you, and I keep telling people, get a copy of the red bound volume of the Australian constitution and compare it to the green one that you'll buy, the green bound volume, and you'll see countless adjustments to the constitution, which are completely unlawful. And so what we have in Australia, quite literally, this is not a statement of hyperbole, this is a, a statement of fact. We have no law in this country. This is a lawless country. Now, we can. this is the case for many reasons. We understand that it is a corporation. It is no longer a sovereign nation. It's part of the corporation, part of the United States in its own way. And so we don't have police. We have basically security guards, corporate security guards masquerading as police. So there is no law in this country. And we knew this and we were communicating this to the people. And so the problem is COVID, the lockdowns. It's the unconstitutional, lawless government allegedly running this country. They have no more authority to sit in our parliament house than my cat does. And yet they are there allegedly passing laws, locking people up, beating them, attacking them with energy weapons, men, women and innocent children with energy weapons on the hill in Canberra. They went on with this over and over again, arrested people. And so these people are still in Canberra reminding the people that this war has yet to be won. Now, we actually came up with a solution to the problem. Now, and we have to think about this intelligently because it's, it's not as simple as it sounds. Because the majority of Australians actually believe that we have a lawful government. So if we went to them and said, uh, the government is unlawful, it's unconstitutional, it has no authority to be here, then they would look at us like we're lunatics and they already do that as we speak <laughs> anyway. Uh, they think we're tinfoil hat wearing conspiracy theorists. The trouble is the conspiracy is all coming true. And so we've got reality on the one hand and perception on the other. So what do you do? You've got 25.69 million Australians that believe the Governor General, who is our titular head of state, is lawful. The government is lawful. The laws that they are passing are lawful. So what do you do? You, you, you can't persuade them otherwise. It's a, you're on a hiding to nothing to use the Australian vernacular, you're going to lose. And so the solution is quite simple because we have no alternative. Now, in the US, the solution, you have the capacity for martial law. It's part of your constitution. And as we know, Trump has already gone through all the steps to allow that to lawfully be implemented. But we have no equivalent. Secondly, the military solution in Australia if done overtly, certainly covertly is fine, in a clandestine way, fine. But overtly, it wouldn't have the same support of the people because in the United States, veterans are respected. They're valued, they're honoured. In Australia, not so much. Uh, you know, a general in the US, and I've worked with enough US generals to know, they are extraordinarily impressive people. They really are, truly. Ours are a bunch of cowards. Incompetent, secret society members, and they're cowards. And so nobody much pays attention to them, which is, I think is a bloody good thing, to be honest. And so if the military turned up at the front door, I can tell you I wouldn't be responding too positively to some corporal at the front door telling me I had to do something because I'd become a colonel all over again and he would leave chastened, let's say. And so an, an, an obvious military solution without 
significant justification, and I mean disclosures of, of evil that would wake up even the most sleepwalking Australian. And so the solution that we came up with, with is this, and we're dealing, as I said, there's a reality and a perception. And so let's say the White Hats were able to convince our Governor-General, David Hurley, to do his job. Now, under Section 50 of our Constitution, the Governor-General, if he becomes aware that the government is behaving unconstitutionally, he's required and authorised to warn the government to cease their unconstitutional behaviour. He is our check and balance, let's say. If they continue in their unconstitutional behaviour, then he is authorised and required to dissolve the parliament because they are unconstitutional. Now, people say, oh, you can't dissolve the parliament. That's unprecedented. Well, that's not true. Before every election, the government is dissolved. There is no parliament. You, the, the, uh, the country is in what we call a caretaker mode. And so nothing changes in terms of major policy announcement. The, the country just bubbles along until the new parliament is elected, a new prime minister is selected, and away they go. So dissolving parliament is nothing special. But under Section 50, the Governor-General can dissolve parliament and then appoint for a period of three months without requiring election what is called the Executive Council. And he can appoint the Executive Council, and for three months they can prepare the country for a first free and fair election in decades. And so our solution is quite simple. The Governor-General does his job, dissolves the Parliament, appoints his Executive Council. The Executive Council has two major jobs. One, to remove all the COVID restrictions and penalties and set the people free. And secondly, clean up the electoral system in order for the Australian people to have the first free and fair election in decades. And then they can, they can elect uh, to Parliament an organisation, a Parliament, a government that actually has their best interests at heart and whose sole job is to help transform the country into something it should be, which is government of the people, by the people and for the people, to use Lincoln's own expression, because we have never had that. Now, this will take, as I said, according to our plan, an educational process first up so people understand what comprises a good constitution, hence my deep dive into Thomas West's book, it's a lot quicker than reading all the Federalist Papers, which are good reading, but my goodness me, <laughs> it takes time. Educate the people as to what comprises the Constitution, what their options are, what their genuine options are, and to understand exactly what they're selecting. And then they can select the Constitution they want at the Constitutional Convention and we begin to rebuild this country. And so going back, that's a very long answer to your question, but why are those people still in Canberra? They are there every day at the Governor-General's house reminding him to do his job. Now, we know we won't. We know that it's controlled by the secret societies too. But the White Hats might be able to persuade him, make him an offer he can't refuse, so to speak, and to do his duty. And so what we're dealing with is not just the reality, but we meet the needs of the perception of the people. And if the people see the Governor General acting constitutionally, dissolving Parliament, appointing this new Executive Council, and the new Executive Council actually starts delivering real benefits to the people immediately, they'll be more than happy to go ahead with that. And so that's it. That's why they're still there. Do your job, David Hurley. In fact, that was one of our hashtags. Hashtag, do your job, David Hurley. And that, to our mind anyway, short of a massive disclosure of the most egregious crimes against humanity, which most people just will refuse to believe. That's the best way out of this particular situation. So when people say military's the only way, that's true because they have to be doing their work in the background. But 
there has to be at least the impression of or the agreed electoral solution to this problem. We are not like Americans. We are very, very different. As Churchill said, we are two nations divided by a common language. Well, I don't know if we're still here or not. We Is are there anybody here. out there? Oh, good. Okay. <laughs> I thought I'd lost yeah. you then. Hey, Val, do you want to try to cue the video back up? Yes. We're going to want to know what kind of tech it is. We're going to every hundred. This is what I took up to. You can shut it off if you say something we don't like. You don't do what we want you to do. You know, the control aspect, which is unfortunately what it looks like there is an agenda there going on as well. Mm-hmm. That's where it's going. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, unfortunately, but I th- I do think that we're seeing a pushback and there is yeah. this awakening. People are waking up though. There is this mm-hmm. awakening happening and, it, and it's like an inevitable process and it's not going to look pretty. It's just going to be, it's going to be a mess until we eventually evolve and get through this. But I want to go back to your time. You've spoken about spending time in Australia with some of the Aboriginals yeah. and that's fascinating to me because you know, they claim to be the first humans seated on this planet. And there's some really ancient and fantastic information coming from those groups of people. Even yeah. there's Egyptian hieroglyphs, Pleiadian hieroglyphs. Like, what did you experience while you were over there? It was amazing. It was during the fires, if you remember those fires that were going on. Um, I had been trying to get to Australia prior to that for like three years. And the fires were getting really close to where these proto-Egyptian hieroglyphs were discovered. And I was like, you know what? I need to get out here before this burns down, at least document it, get my own photos, touch it with my own hands, and just verify it's actually even real. Mm-hmm. So I booked the trip. I raced out there. I got out there. I, I got some guides. I got, you know, we went out into the, uh, into the we got the appro- approval from the Aboriginal elders to go out into the area. Uh, and it was an amazing journey. I mean, first you have to hug a tree before you can go in and talk to the tree and say a prayer with the tree. And then the guides, uh, they had to call out to a bird and the bird had to respond. We had to wait for the bird to respond. We had to sage ourselves with, with fresh leaves from the bush and, and all this stuff. It was a, an amazing transformational journey. And then after going miles out into the outback, we come across this, um, this makeshift proto-Egyptian ancient uh, temple. The roof had been long collapsed. And on one side is Egyptian hieroglyphs. On the other side is Pleiadian. Nobody to date has deciphered these Pleiadian glyphs. Uh, the Aboriginals there, they said these are Pleiadian. Nobody will be able to decipher them. What's incredible, though, is that it shows that what looks like a mothership with a whole bunch of little UFOs coming out. Mm. And now both sides of this have been dated back to as much as 5,000 years because of the growth in between the crevices of the glyphs. That's biological material. And so that was able to be dated. And so the dates are confirmed. The glyphs have been confirmed by the Board of Antiquities, the Proto-Egyptian glyphs by the Board of Antiquities of Egypt, the Cairo Museum. We have that verified now. 
So we know that these are real proto-Egyptian, you know, pre-dynastic era hieroglyphs in Australia. And the Aboriginals said that the, the reason why they're there is because the Egyptians were coming here to learn knowledge and wisdom from the Aboriginal elders. They were coming to get knowledge and wisdom. And so they were, there was an exchange there of some sort with knowledge and wisdom. Uh, and it only stopped about 500 years ago because two Egyptians came across uh, to talk to them. And then somehow they were, there's some, they have a lot of sacred stones. They showed us some sacred stones that they said, if you touch this stone, like for example, one of the stones, if you touch it, you would die. Hmm. Uh, and these stones were incredible. They were multi-layered metallic, different types of, different types of, uh, of alloys, but they, these Egyptians had stolen two sacred stones. And so from that point forward, they were banished from ever coming back and they had never come back since that time. Yeah. Wow. Thanks. Thanks, Val. You can end it there. So, Ricardo, one question I want to ask you, because, you know, once the bad actors and, and the corruption is, is wiped out from Australia, <clears throat> what is your vision for the Aboriginals' future role with a lot of their knowledge that they could provide for um, humanity going forward? Yeah, no, it's a good question. Um, the just so we're clear, uh, removing the bad actors, just like everywhere else on the planet, there are bad blacks and bad whites who have been destroying the the uh, the Aboriginal people for decades. They quite intentionally have been doing that. In fact, during before the show, we mentioned the fact that they were forcibly injecting uh, a number of the original tribes people with the alleged uh, we were called the vaccine because it's not with the bio weapon in order to kill the elders. Now, the reason for that is quite simple, because once they kill the elders, the elders are the ones that hold the, the, the dance, song and dreaming of the Aboriginal people, of that, of that mob, as they're called, for their area. Now, once they, they lose the, the dance, dreaming and song of that area, their claim to the land is now null and void. It's done. It's finished. And what David Cole, um, and we helped promote David's analysis when this was coming out, he superimposed a map showing mineral claims by major mining companies and it's coincided exactly with our force injecting the uh, the aboriginal elders with the bioweapon so it's not a coincidence we know exactly what they were trying to do they're trying to kill any connection to the land formal connection to the land of the elders and that way no claim could be made by the younger members of the tribe of the mob and so you've got this problem now Back to before we speak to what the future is, which is going to be a whole lot better for everybody, because people have to understand this. This black-white issue is being replicated all around the planet. There are $33 billion a year goes into what's called the Aboriginal industry, $33 billion a year. Now, we have a handful of, of blacks, a handful, and yet $33 billion a year goes to them. And now it's not going to Jackie Jackie in the Nala Nala which is Australian expression for a, you know, an Aboriginal bloke a long way from nowhere. They don't see a cent of it. This goes into alleged Aboriginal companies. So they get one black on the board, and then it's just tax money going straight into somebody else's pocket. So there's this, the black leadership in Australia are as corrupt as everybody else. 
and all they care about is pocketing as much money as they can. So this is a far more sophisticated problem than most people realise. They just think black man good, white man bad. You know, it's, it's childish. It's nothing like that. A lot of black scum out there in the Aboriginal industry that are very wealthy, many, many houses, and they don't care about their, their what they call their people. Well, they're our people too. Because little black Australians is Australians, a little white Australian, and we care for all of them. And so you've got these, these blacks in the black industry, and backed by the United Nations and organisations called like the original so, so, OST, the Original Sovereign Tribal Federation, Original Sovereign Tribal Federation, which is a UN-backed and coordinated and controlled organisation, which is designed to splinter Australia into a thousand different countries with their own economy, their own diplomacy, their own foreign relations. So they are trying to destroy the country. So you've got to understand that the context of what you're asking is a good question, and I'll get to it. But understand the context is much bigger than that. They want to fracture this country into, into a thousand little pieces and use white guilt. And you mentioned that movie, Rabbit Proof French, which unfortunately, I hate to break the news to you, but it's, a lot of it is just out-and-out out lies. It has been created by the, the deep state to throw a divide between blacks and whites in Australia. The story is not as simplistic as it was told in that movie, despite the fact that it was you know, made by an award-winning Australian director. So what? They're all on the pay of somebody, and they're trying to divide the country, and you can tell. There's another one called, I think it's Black Emu, Dark Emu, allegedly the uh, the agricultural history of, of the Aboriginal people. The reason and that's a bald-faced lie as well. They just keep throwing this stuff at us to try to, to, to persuade us. Another one, while we're disabusing a few facts, Central Australia is home to third world conditions. There are babies with venereal disease. So $33 billion a year goes somewhere, but it doesn't go to the, the little Aboriginal girls. And I'm talking babies with venereal disease who are being raped by their uncles and their fathers. You've got 12, 14-year-old girls who are, being, who are committing suicide because they're tired of being packed raped by their relatives. See, this is the story you don't get. This is the lie that is perpetuated. And the black bastards who are allowing this to happen in the in the in the Aboriginal industry, and I don't apologise for my language, because they are pocketing thirty-three billion dollars a year, while little black girls are being raped and are committing suicide in Central Australia in twenty-first century Australia. So I get very exercised about this. And yes, there are wonderful things to learn about black culture and black healing, but right now my focus is on saving little girls' lives. So what's going to happen? Everybody's going to have to let something go. This new Australia we're creating, and we always start with an end state. This is military planning. That way you know you're heading in the right direction. The end state for this is one country, one people, one flag, because they are dividing us every possible way they can. There's the corporate black flag. It's not an Aboriginal flag. It's a corporate flag designed to, to, uh, to divide us. When, we do our, when, when you do your rallies in the U.S., all you see is acres of old glory, the red, white, and blue, stars and stripes. It's magnificent to watch. You watch a rally in Australia, you'll see the blue ensign, the red ensign, the Eureka flag, the Aboriginal flag. You'll see flags from Austria, Germany, Italy, the Great Britain, all the, the nations from whence we come. And they love it, they being the globalists, because they get to destroy us by dividing us. And that's why what we have to create, and like I, when I speak to David Cole and other 
other black leaders, I say, mate, please understand we have the end state. One country, one people, one flag, that's it. And any deviation from that objective, we will fight. In fact, I had actually one uh, one gentleman from one of the mobs up in Queensland, which is our northern state on the east coast, and he was getting a bit excited, and he said, if I want to invite the Chinese Communist Party onto my land, meaning his tribal land, I'll do so, which is a pretty dumb thing to say to, <laughs> to, to an army guy because that's called a threat. Now, what people have to understand is soldiers don't lower the temperature. That's a, that's a policeman's job. They lower the temperature in a situation. We don't look for diplomatic solutions because that's a diplomat's job. Soldiers squeeze triggers, and if someone threatens to destroy this country by inviting the Chinese Communist Party, it's going to end up badly for them, I can tell you. And that's the level of stupidity, imbecility, that the whites are plugging into the blacks' heads about what's going to happen in this country. I can tell you what's going to happen. We're all going to have to give something up. The whites, the blacks, the browns, everyone's going to give up something. We all have to create this new country, focus on this one country, one people, one flag. Now, what does that mean in a practical sense? Do the blacks get control of their land? Of course it does. Because in a practical sense, what we're going to create are, again, using your model, we're going to create counties, and counties are controlled by the people in that county. And so if there's a mob as a particular region, that becomes a county and they can control that land. But at no point in Australian history was Australia a black continent with a single government. This is the lie they like to perpetuate. We own all of Australia, say the blacks. Really? When? When did you do that? You never did. You owned that patch of land and they owned that patch of land. And so, again, very complex. Now, one last, let me disabuse you of one last idea. The current crop of Aborigines that occupy Australia when I was a kid, we were told they got here 40,000 years ago, then it was 50, 60, 70, 70 and, and they add 10,000 years every couple of years to make it sound like their claim is greater. They've got a claim. They don't need to pretend. But here's what they won't tell you. They're not the first. There was a, a, a species, a, a, a race of pygmy blacks that occupied Australia before the current mob, and the current mob wiped out the pygmy blacks. There's a piece of Australian history that nobody gets told because it doesn't suit the narrative. The globalists have used the black-white issue in Australia like they do in the United States to divide us and cause dissension and hatred. And I can tell you, we, uh, when we talk, we talk nothing but the truth. And that's the way we do it. Nothing but the truth, as unpleasant as it might sound. So what's the end state? One country, one people, one flag. Will the Aborigines control their land? You betcha. Absolutely. Are we going to tap into their knowledge of uh, herbal medicines, of course we are, but not just because the Aborigines have it, because we've all got it. There's countless evidence, <clears throat> and here's a story I love to tell. There's countless evidence of herbal and uh, and uh, medicinal remedies found in all around this country. And when I was in Western Australia, I was visiting a farm, and this guy ran sheep and uh, sorry, cattle and uh, cattle and sheep, and we were just talking, and he said. Uh, my cows sometimes get these cancers on their snout. And I said, that's a bit of a problem. He said, no, not really. You see that weed growing along the fence line? All I have to do is grab that, break it, rub some of the sap on the cow's snout, and the cancer's gone in a couple of weeks. My wife was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis a month after we were married. The specialist, and they always say the same thing, I is the best. <laughs> He's the best MS man. They're always the best. This imbecile told my wife that um, he could treat her, but uh, the treatment, one of the side effects, one of the contraindications was death, and that she'd been in a wheelchair in 18 months and dead in three years. 
Well, that was in January 2009. Now, why is she still around? Simply because we ignored the idiot. I do the cooking anyway, but what I did was I got rid of all the processed food and she could not walk 50 meters without needing a break and just changing diet away from processed food. She walked three and a half kilometers down a sandy beach on my arm, but she did it. Now, that's just on diet. So what's this got to do with herbages and, and herbal remedies? We have a wellness model, not an illness model. Big Pharma can go jump in the lake and we're going to turn the billions of dollars that goes into Big Pharma into investigating um, natural remedies for every illness that we have in this country and globally. Part of that have obviously come from the blacks because they have a, a profound knowledge of some of the stuff that we don't have. And so, again, it's a very long answer to a very short question. But once again, we've got to understand that it is it is complex. It is There are many moving parts. And if anybody says it's a, it's a simple problem with a simple solution, you can tell they're telling a fib. Now, there are simple solutions, but once you understand the complexity of the problem. You know, I totally, um, I'm totally thankful for you shedding light on that because, I mean, we have a similar problem here in America with all the uh, indoctrination in the schools. Um, so I'm, I'm half black, Sicilian, and Polish, and all you hear is about what the white man did to the Indians and did to the black people and this and that and the other. And it's like these politicians in the school system they keep generated hate to divide the people so the people can never come together as one. And from getting a better understanding from you is that's what it sounds like is there needs to be, the corruption needs to be getting rid of and everybody comes together as one because we are one people. I mean, we come from one creator. So our color is just a color. We all bleed the same blood and, and I really appreciate you shed more light on that. Oh, my pleasure. It's um, it's not pleasant, but it's it's the truth. And if we if we start with the truth, we'll be fine. And in the U.S., the figures out of the U.S. are astonishing. Black and white education levels, black and white um, marriage levels, black and white fidelity in marriage levels were near identical back in the fifties. And so, what as a result of the uh, as a result of the the globals destroying the blacks because they hate the blacks guess what the whites don't we don't care we couldn't care less we care about as as martin luther king said the content of their character now you can be white black or brindle makes no difference if you're an asshole you're an asshole if you're a good man you're a good man well done that's all we care about but they have been playing this um and the blacks have been destroyed by the by the deep state in in the uh, these democrat controlled cities detroit Chicago, they're being, the Democrats have been running these cities for 40 years, 50 years. Nancy Pelosi, famously, her, her district, the place is, is just, it's third world. It is third world. This is uh, by design. This is intentional. They hate us. And as you quite rightly said, we stand together as one with the same values and take back our countries. Absolutely. Um... A lot of my black cousins, uh, believe it or not, I mean, they're they're indoctrinated because I mean, history that they give us is is all fake and phony and false, and they can just go off of what they've been told. And I mean, I've been told that I'm racist because I supported Trump, and 
I seen past the matrix. And I, I, I told my cousin, I says, how can I be racist? My father's black. <laughs> He's like, well, um, you can still hate your blackness. Like, why would I hate my blackness? I'm, I'm, I'm gonna, I was born this way. I'm going to die this way. And it's, it's the indoctrination that is so programmed. I'll say this real quickly. I had another cousin that said, you know, because they, they really don't under, they really don't understand and they don't see past the matrix. And my cousin, she's like, we need to stop. This is when I was on Facebook before I got kicked off and she made a post that we need to stop spending money in white neighborhoods and sp and, and keep it in our, our neighborhood and blah, blah, blah. And, and I, I told my cousin, I says, listen to what you just said. First of all, is that just, that's dividing people. But second of all, 90% of the businesses owned in the black community is owned by Arabs and Chinese and Indians. Until you start buying businesses and putting that money back in the community, you're, it doesn't matter where you spend the money at because they're sending that money back to their country and to their families. And it's the programming that people can't see past that. And um, I'm really thankful that you shed light on that because I had a totally different mindset on what I've been seeing because I don't know and I'd like to learn more. And I think what's awesome about this awakening that every country and culture is coming together. I, if you had asked me 20 years ago, would you be interviewing a patriot from Australia? I'd probably laugh at you. So <laughs> I'm really thankful for it. And, and we really need to start connecting more and learning everybody's culture and heritage. Absolutely. And it's funny you mentioned the bringing people together. I can tell you, again, in a very practical sense, this might seem like an odd comment to make, make, make next. But in, in preparing this country to withstand, to resist another attempt to take over, let's talk tax for a second. We, uh, we have a plan and we've had it checked out. And in fact, our supporters love the plan. It's a 2% expenditure tax. All the other tax goes, no tax, zero. It's just a 2% expenditure tax. When you spend money, two cents in the dollar goes to the government, that's it. No capital gains, no fringe benefits, no stamp duty, no payroll tax, no nothing, all gone. And people say, well, how do you, how do you possibly run a country on that? Well, let me give you the numbers. And these are very small numbers compared to the US economy which is huge, I get it. So we're a small country town, but just, just go with me on this. The non-cash electronic transfers of money in Australia, this is between institutions, for example, something like $200 million a day. So every day, $200 million changes hands between organizations and companies, and companies are always accused of not paying their fair share of tax. Well, no company does because companies are optimized to pay zero tax. I get it. I understand that. But every time they transfer money, they spend money, it's 2% goes straight across. Now, what that means is it takes the burden, the tax burden off the backs of the wage slaves. Because in Australia, the nominal tax rate, depending on which bracket you're in, is somewhere between 30 and 48%, 33 and 48%. But in reality, what Australians are paying with all the hidden taxes, the GSTs and sales tax and all the other hidden taxes, they're paying somewhere between 60 to 70% tax on every dollar they earn. Now, they haven't been told that. And so what we say to them is, we're going to have a tax regime. 
And what happens is you pay two cents in the dollar, nothing else. So if you sell your house for a million and a half, you get to keep every cent. If you get paid a thousand dollars a week, you get to keep every cent. Now this does a couple of things. One will make everybody really happy really quickly. <laughs> That's going to be brilliant. They will not believe it. In fact, they'll be over the moon happy, and then they're going to be incandescent with rage when they find out how long they've been ripped off because that money didn't go back into consolidated revenue in order to build infrastructure for the country. It's gone straight to the bank accounts of the elites to build tunnels and other things. Now we know that. So what will happen is this, they get really happy. But more importantly, and this is the long-term goal, so every step we take has to prevent this from ever happening again. Creating a wealthy, independent middle class is the best bulwark against the globalists ever doing this again because the globalists love the super rich and the polis because they're the one that give them the, the, the legislation, the laws that allows them to steal from people, and they like the super poor because they're on the public teat. They need the public teat to feed them. What they cannot stand and what they cannot defeat is a powerful, wealthy, independent middle class that's ready to tell the politicians to get stuffed. And that's why they've been destroying the middle class progressively. So what we're doing with this tax policy, A, we're returning the people's money to the to the people. This government doesn't make money. We know that government spends money and wastes it more often than not. And now all of a sudden you've got people that are independent, strong-minded and wealthy, and they can look after themselves. Thank you very much. And they're not interested in government overreach. They're not interested in government opinion. They realise the government is there to do the job of protecting them from threats foreign and domestic and other responsibilities that individuals cannot do on their own. And so bringing us together as a people, all of a sudden you'll have one country, one people, one flag, independent, wealthy, and very, very mindful of anything that divides. So once again, you can see every one of our steps, because I'm a lazy guy. If I can do one thing that solves six problems, I'm, I'm there. I don't want to be fighting six different problems if I can do it. So our policies are predicated on the need to not only save the country, give the country back to the people, but also prevent this ever happening again. And something as simple as tax. So um, this is a big invitation to every American out there. Uh, I know that you call yourselves the greatest nation that ever lived, and that's actually a defensible statement. It is. The United States has never had anything close to it in terms of competition and what it is like as a nation. You people are brilliant. You really are. But i got to tell you, in the next century, Australia is going to be a run for your money because we are going to be open for business and anybody that wants to live in, a, in this magnificent country of ours where you are free and politically empowered, this is going to be the place to come. You'll come here. You won't pay anything more than two, two cents a dollar when you spend money. It promotes savings. It allows families to have one breadwinner and the other parent at home with the kids where the kids should be with a parent. We're also, just by the by, we're going to be following the model set. And now here's something that some of your listeners will know about and others will say, what the hell is he talking about? A series of books called The Ringing Cedars of Russia. It's about a character called Anastasia, as in English we'd say Anastasia, but they pronounce it Anastasia. And she's a young woman who has come up with ideas on how things should run, how we can get back to nature, how we can live a more wholesome life in, in accordance with nature. And it's quite extraordinary. And part of that plan is to give every citizen a hectare of land. A hectare is about 2.2 acres. And we're going to do that. We're going to start giving everyone a hectare of land so they can start to live. And that's their land for life. 
they can start taking control of their life. This is part of that self-reliance that I was talking about in our end state, a self-reliant people. And so getting them out of boxes in cities and getting them on a hectare of land where they can grow food or not grow food, it's entirely up to them, but we know what's going to happen over time. We'll be the, build the infrastructure around them so they've got the roads and the hospitals and the airports and the train tracks. We'll build, build all of that, as a government should. But their life is their life, and they should live it their way. And if we can get them, remove the reliance on the supermarkets and the shops and bring them back to a more wholesome, nature-oriented life, then the country's going to be far better off for that. And so this, this new Australia that we're building has no precedent. Certainly here, it's going to be magnificent. And we're going to be setting the example for the rest of the planet. And I, as I said, you're more than welcome to join us. You're more than welcome to join us, help build this new nation. I tell you what, with the uh, videos and pictures that Laura shows with that beautiful weather and everything that you just said really makes me want to probably come down to Australia. Well, I tell you what, if you do give me a shout, we'll give you a guided tour. <laughs> and then, uh, as I said, we're going to be open for business. And uh, if if this is the country that you want to build, because it's not automatic, it's going to be tough to get citizenship. You can come here and live here, but you don't get to be a citizen until you're uh, you're in line with our values and our language and, and how we live here, because we don't want to fracture the country. We want social cohesion. It's culturally vibrant, but social cohesion. And let me give you... A, a pretty rough example of what I mean. And this is not a shot of the Germans. This is just fact, so bear with me. For example, they have animal brothels in Germany. So it's quite lawful there to go into a, an animal brothel and pay and have sex with an animal. Well, that sort of behavior doesn't really sit comfortably with us. We think that's just straight out wrong. Uh, Japan. You can buy, they have vending machines for everything. You can buy used schoolgirl panties out of vending machines in Japan. Not interested. Thanks, guys. Thank you for your time. That sort of stuff we're not interested in. So we're not about to import a bunch of weird behaviors that are antithetical to our view of life. Social cohesion comprises all of these things. We're a Christian country, both uh, demographically, over 50% of the country is Christian. 70% of the country believe in a higher power. 20% are quite sure, and between five and 10% are rabid atheists. Now, if you listen to the, if you listen to the the language and the messages being pushed on TV, you'd think we're all atheists, but we're not. We all believe in a higher power, most of us, and that's the way we live. And this, this is a Christian country, and will remain a Christian country because the Christian ethic, whether you're a Christian or not, is not the point. I'm not proselytizing for Christianity because most of the religions are busted anyway. It's human interpretation of something that is completely communicable. But we're a Christian country. The Christian ethic underpins our view of life, our laws, our care for each other as humans. I've traveled the world. I've been in some great places and I've been to pretty miserable places, I can tell you. The Christian countries are the best, just a fact. The others, not so good. So, yes, every, people will be, they have to be in alignment with our culture, with our language, with our understanding of what constitutes right and wrong, because we have to be a moral people, and we are. And all, morali all morality <laughs> is not the same. Well, I'll tell you, if I was in Australia, you'd definitely have my vote, and I never knew that there was an animal brothel that's definitely uh, 
news to my ears and that's that's a little crazy and i'll tell you the people of australia you definitely got a a good leader and a good voice and ricardo i appreciate you coming on with us i hope to get you back on again um probably with you and guru and i i just want to ask you one question before we go to q a because i know there's a lot of members that are waiting to ask questions have you seen any american military out there in Australia? We were, um, I'll give you a really obvious one. We were on the hill in Canberra. <laughs> on the hill in Canberra. Uh, actually, we were on the march and we were marching across Commonwealth Bridge, getting up to the Capitol Hill. And a US, large US, transport aircraft flew very low over us followed the course and then peeled off and almost did a queue in the sky <laughs> so we know they're here we know they're doing they're doing good work and as i've said before but i'll say it one more time and it's something that uh, i'll have to keep repeating the australian people have no idea the sacrifice the u.s armed forces are making i mean real sacrifice and it is a debt that we will never be able to repay. And I mean that. We understand the incredible challenges faced by the American United States Armed Forces and some of the horrors that they are dealing with, and they are genuine horrors, and the Australian people will just refuse to believe it, but we understand it to be true. It is a debt we'll never be able to repay, but it's one we will always remember. The world and Australia owes the United States a debt of gratitude. And we will always remember that. And we love you all in Australia and we're all patriots. And I can't wait for this to be over with because I'm definitely going to be taking a trip down there. Um, we were watching Finding Nemo and we were planning on uh, taking a trip down there to <laughs> Sydney to go find Nemo, but definitely going to be coming down there. I didn't realize that the corruption of the government was as bad as i've learned but once it's cleaned up i'll definitely be taking a trip down there and hopefully meet up with you and laura that'd be brilliant that would be absolutely brilliant let's do it and like i said thank you for your time and thank you for joining us and now if we can get into q a and laura's going to be taking questions because i know a lot of people are waiting to talk to you mr <laughs> ricardo thank you sir I do want to say this too. Any trolls or any shields, you will be muted and removed. So everybody be respectful. Y'all will just raise your hand if you have a question for Ricardo. I'll get to you. Um, Ace of Wands, you're the first I saw. So I will unmute you now. Go ahead, Ace. Um, Ace, we can't hear you. Um, you might want to turn your camera off and see if that works better, sweetie.
Oh, Ace, we still can't hear you. You might want to go out and come back. And when you do, raise your hand and I'll, and I'll get to you again. I'm so sorry. Go ahead, Lightning. Hello, Mr. Vossi. Who dares wins? I have a question for you, please. Um, and thank you so much. We put our population in the U.S. at over 80%, 80% plus um, that we need to keep moving forward. Where would you put your society at, please? And thanks again. God bless. Um, yeah, it, as I say to people, thank you for your question. It's We don't need everybody. We just need enough. Now, what's, what's enough? Well, our country, we reckon about 50% of our country is reluctant to move under any circumstances. But fortunately, the downside of Australia being such a small population and easily controlled is also, by the same token, we can actually win with uh, a smaller number. But we still need that number. My, the number I think we need, ideally, and you're talking about uh, 15 million adults of the 25.69 million, to about 15 million adults, 10 million kids. And so we're looking at about 5, 5 million, 20%. If we get active, uh, if we could mobilise 20% of our population, because it's very, very, very highly concentrated. That presence will be felt. So if we get five million moving, if we can get enough in each city, the big cities, our biggest city has four or five million in it, um, that would be enough. So 20% properly distributed would bring the country to a standstill and communicate to our American friends that we are ready to move forward. So it's absolutely doable. Brilliant. Good luck to you. Thank you. Thank you, Lightning. And now we'll go to Scott three. I'll just unmute you now. Uh, yeah, g'day, um, uh, Rick. I um, I just heard just recently that um, um, uh, this country, Australia, was being groomed to be uh, officially the uh, 51st state. You want to put on? Yeah. Come on. Put it on. Yep. Um, no, that's okay. It's <laughs> production values don't matter. It's it's the quality of the the work that counts. Um, yes. There is a there is a line of reasoning that says we are the 51st state. We are actually a, a territory of the United States, and one of the as a result of the fact that we're a corporation. Uh, 1871, I believe it was, where the US went bankrupt and the corporation was established, and Australia became part of that later. What that means is, if that is true, what that means is potentially the US could promulgate that publicly, appoint a a state governor and get on with the business of cleaning the country up. Uh, that's quite a, a that's quite a possibility. But once again, <clears throat> excuse me, we're dealing with reality and perception. What Australians are likely to accept the appointment of a US governor being told with the 51st state? Well, there are some upsides because we need the Second Amendment real quick. And I can, I'll be a whole lot happier <laughs> with an armed population. So there are some upsides, there are some downsides. I think a lot of people have difficulty with that approach. Could it be made to work? And in, in the military, when you consider strategies, you don't say pass, fail. It's workable or unworkable. So if it's a workable strategy, you then wargame it to find out where the shortcomings are and you mitigate against those shortcomings. 
Uh, is it plausible? Yes. Is it possible? Yes. Is it doable? Yes. But I think uh, more with more difficulty than the other. That doesn't mean it won't be the preferred option because the slower process means more kids will be raped and killed in the in, in, whilst we're achieving our objective. The faster process is less palatable, but the pedophilia and satanic ritual abuse will, will be halted quicker. And so as as is usually the case in these situations, you have a couple of choices, bad, worse, and bloody awful. And the, the, you just you do the numbers and you make the best decision you can and then you move forward. Thank you, Ricardo. Um, now we'll go to Bill. Bill, I'll just unmute you now. Oh, I lost you. Just a moment. Okay, it looks like Bill dropped off. Is there anyone else with a question? Go ahead, Scott Three. Uh, yeah, Ricardo, and um, one of the, um, the reasons why I asked that term question before um, was um, it's probably room out of control, but um, apparently we've uh, we've been busted um, for interfering with uh, an American election. And uh, so America is just going to, uh, you know, take us back and um, start governing us. Have you, um, have you uh, heard that or you think that would be plausible? Oh, uh, the, the issue that the evidence is overwhelming that certain Australian, senior Australian politicians and others have been involved in the attempted coup d'etat in the United States and the interference with the election. My understanding is there is an op opportunity here now for the US to extradite those people to the United States so they can face military tribunals. And I can tell you, if I was Prime Minister, I would make the extradition super quick because uh, what we need to see is consequence of bad behaviour because we haven't seen that for long enough. So, yes, there is evidence that the certain Australians uh, did interfere. It's not like the whole country was guilty of that. Some individuals were. And uh, if the Americans want them, then we should make them available to them because they can meet out a quicker and more just sentence than, uh, than our system provides for. Thank you. We have Bill back. Go ahead, Bill, you're unmuted. Okay, Bill keeps disappearing. Go ahead, Dale. Dale, you're unmuted. Hello? Can you hear me? Oh. Yes, sir. Thank goodness. Uh huh. Go ahead. Um, yeah. Hi, hi, Bertie. <laughs> I've been following you for a couple of years down in Australia. Love you, wife. Thank you. There's always a question I've been dying to ask you. Um, so, this is regarding your know, future plans for Australia. My question is, is, um, Will there be any sort of incentives for one families moving forward? Uh, I've looked at past reforms in previous countries where they have an incentive for the family to build. So like the more uh, children you have in the household, the more the government will kind of subsidize things uh, within the household to promote, obviously, the inclusion of females back into the household and building strong families for Australia. And the second thing I'd like to ask you, mate, is uh, will there also be a similar um, sort of incentive for those that are unjabbed 
and do you have any plan for that moving forward? Okay, with respect to incentives to, to grow the family, a strong family is foundational to a strong nation. And our definition of family is a single man and a single woman married. <clears throat> That's the basis. Now, marriage between a man and a woman, the logical consequence of that is children, and that's the purpose for the, the marriage. And keeping the men and women together are important in terms of the children's rights because the children have rights just like the mum and dad do. And in terms of incentives to grow families, what I think you'll find is once we remove the brainwashing that is just consistent every day we're brainwashed with nonsense, when the brainwashing goes, you'll find people revert to that which they want. Now, if a woman wants a career, fill your boots, go for it. And if the man wants a career, that's fantastic too. But we have been manoeuvred, families have been manoeuvred into a position where mum and dad both must work in order just to meet basic needs. Now, go back to the 50s where a single breadwinner could buy a house, buy a car, take the family on holidays uh, every year and then leave a, uh, a legacy for their kids when they passed. Now you have two people working and they still can't get a deposit for a house. This is by design. This is by design. You must understand that. The inflated housing prices are by design. Corrupted property developers, and forgive me if I seem to dive into detail, but you've got to understand the scope of the problem before you come up with an answer. Corrupted property developers pay the local politicians to release land in very small parcels so they can maximise their profits as close as they can to the to the city, where then the other the other banks like uh, Macquarie Bank can then funnel as many cars down the uh, the freeway and you get to pay $10 a trip for the privilege of sitting in a four-kilometre car park. All of this is by design. Once all these impediments to a free life are gone, people will relax and, and realise that life is so much better because mums love their kids. They want to be with their kids. Now, some don't, and that's fine. It's not our job to interfere with how you run your family. But you'll find that once all these impediments to a happy, healthy, and free life are gone, then people will naturally do that. I'm reluctant to say we will give you more money if you uh, have kids. Not initially, anyway. Initially, no. Let, the, let, let everyone find their own level. We are a very small government-type organisation. We, we want the people to have as little to do with us as possible. We're there to do what they can't do, build and drive battleships, for example. And so in terms of in, in the immediate future, are we going to give benefits to the families? Well, a 2% tax, that's huge. That is absolutely enormous. Other countries, for example, they give incentives. That's because they're still taxing everybody 50% plus tax rates. We're going to give everybody that, that opportunity to choose their life, to live their life their way, and that's what they are entitled to do. Every individual is sovereign. You have the right to live your life your way so long as you do not interfere with the rights of others. And that includes your kids. But once again, what will happen is in, in the first few years of this, of this new regime where the government is very small and has very little to do with the people other than doing what the people can't do themselves, the people will decide for themselves how they wish to live. Now, as I said, <clears throat> there's a, a hectare of land available for every Australian citizen if you want it. Now, it'll be doled out progressively. It's not like we can give 25 million hectares tomorrow because there will be people that have a greater need than others. And other people want to still live in the city, and that's fine. That's entirely up to them. But they can still have their block of land somewhere else. And so when we settle down, once we are released from this incredibly oppressive control mechanism that has been imposed upon us, they will realise how free they actually are 
and they are free to make their own decisions. And and life in this country will change dramatically. And sorry, the second one was uh, something for the jabbed or unjabbed. Uh, yeah. So um, and just to expand upon that too, like, do you have a system in place that's available that can tell uh, who is jabbed and who's not? Like, is there a test or are we able to access oh, okay. care to establish that? And yeah. So would there be a benefit for anyone that was unjabbed? Like, will they have any, I don't know, incentive or anything like that? It's it's hard to say because obviously you want to give free opportunity, but um you know you think there'll be any biases that arise where people weren't higher based on the fact that people have boosters and stuff what are some challenges absolutely and once again the labor laws are going to change too because once again we have a a libertarian streak a mile wide now nobody should be compelled to employ anybody let me give you an example in my company would i knowingly employ a pedophile no I'm discriminating. That's right. I'm discriminating against pedophiles because they're sick bastards. You have the right to employ who you like. So if you don't employ a vaxxed person, that's fine. You have that right to do so. This comes back to, and understand, this isn't a discrimination thing or a racism thing or a health thing. You have the right to do what you wish, and government doesn't have the right to impose itself in your life unless you want it to. Now, having said that, if you only want to employ unvaxxed people, then fill your boots. If you want to employ vaxxed people, fill your boots. Is there going to be a test? That's certainly a very smart suggestion. Having said that, having said that, uh, a lot of people are saying that the vax are on a death sentence. You know, myocarditis and pericarditis, it's a, it's a two to five year death sentence. There is no cure, you will die. Well, that's given current medical technology that's been available to us, which is next to nothing. There are solutions to most of these problems. Now, are we going to save everybody? No. But a lot of the people who have been told they have a death sentence will survive. There are there are processes and procedures out there which, when made available, will free them of that illness. Should they should a a potential love interest be guaranteed or be at least be uh, able to ask whether they're vaxxed or not? Of course they should. See this great lie where it was um, you didn't have to admit whether you were, had, were HIV positive when you had sex with somebody. That's just just as ridiculous, but that was a way of protecting the LGBT crowd. That's why they said it's okay to have sex with somebody, even if you know you have AIDS and you cannot be held accountable. These distorted values will be thrown out the window. You, as an individual, have the right to ask and be told the truth on matters like this, and if they lie, then they lie. And having sex with somebody, if you have AIDS, is akin to playing Russian roulette. It's just flat wrong, but because the LGBT leadership. Now, once again, understand this. This is not an anti-gay thing. The leadership is corrupt. The LGBT leadership, and it's LGBTP, by the way, because there was a a conference in Queensland many years ago, and they had P on the list and realised the people weren't too key on the P thing, so let's just hide that. So we know it's a Trojan horse. But you have every right to your body to be safe and sound. And so you should have the right to find out whether the person you intend to uh, cohabitate, marry, get engaged, whatever, you have every right to determine whether they're healthy or not. In some states, you're not sure if it's still valid, but you need a blood test before you can get married. Not a bad idea. I've got three kids. You think I want to play Russian roulette with, with my kids' future? No. See, the only people that don't worry about this are people without kids. And if you look at the global leadership, find how many don't have kids. And you'll find out exactly how they can, with absolute callousness and malicious malicious forethought, set rules up that destroy 
good, honest, basic, hardworking people. If your hand has gone down because it's been up for a while, if you would just go out and come back in and raise it, then we'll be able to see you. I'm so sorry. It disappears after a while. There's nothing we can do about that. And Dale is still up right Yep, now. I'm up. Uh, everyone, how is everyone uh, on the other side of the planet? Round or flat, either way. Uh, my question is to uh, Mr. Bosey there, Mike. Keep up the good work. I've been watching you for a very long time. Uh, had to defend your name a lot, talking to people. I've got your back, mate. Don't worry. But my question is, does your team or yourself know about the true perspective of this last three years with the uh, financial reset, the CBDC rollout stuff that's coming in March here in Australia? Um, and my belief is... I think that might be the start of the demise of the cabal, the deep state. Because what I'm hearing is that the CBDCs are designed to flop on everybody. In terms of uh, have we been aware of everything for three years? No. Like everything, the intelligence in it, like any battle, comes forward in in doses, small packets, big packets, big revelations, a little bit. Sometimes we're not getting our intelligence feed is silent for reasons that we don't understand, but we understand, we, we, we know are sometimes necessary. Now, what's been happening for some time, and I'll give you an example, is that the control of the White Hats has been more evidenced by claims of what was going to happen but didn't happen. And one that really uh, frightened a lot of people was the, you, the World Health Organization Global Constitution, which was going to be rolled out. Now, the announcement was made, but it never happened. Why? Because 27 African nations said no thanks. Now, politics in Africa, like everywhere else, is pretty basic. The bigger the bag of gold gets you exactly what you want. And so somebody made sure that those 27 African nations voted against it. Now, the reason for that is the White Hats were showing the normies out there of what was intended, but they won't let it happen. The CBDC rollout and everything else is exactly the same. It's to show you what was intended, but it won't be allowed to occur. It might, it, it might start to some degree, but it'll never go out until its full extent simply because they're trying to show the people, the normies, what was intended for them. Now, the theory behind that is it's supposed to wake the normies up and get angry. The trouble is, and Australia is fully guilty of this, what the bloody hell does it take to wake up the Australians? Because we've been, as you know, we've been rabbiting on about the most egregious crimes against families and kids for years now. And people just don't respond. Now, we understand now to, to some degree why, but they don't respond. So in answer to your question, announcements will continue coming about what bad things are going to be done to us. Some might start, but most will not occur because the idea is it's designed to wake us up. And I think what yeah. White Hats are discovering is it's taking a hell of a lot more to wake up, particularly Australia, than, uh, than they thought. And to give you another example, when I mentioned this, and this was mentioned three years ago, the Victorian State uh, Education Department on their own website had the paragraph that said that if your child wants to transition their gender, then it's up to the principal to determine whether the child, and this is a minor, is a mature minor and can make that decision on their own. Now, you can't get a tattoo or drink a beer until you're 18, yet 
the state government in Victoria and for the you know, United States and in overseas guests, uh, it is the most communist state. It's actually a criminal cartel run by organised crime. Um, the political parties are controlled by outlaw motorcycle gangs, and it is literally a criminal cartel. But anyway, the law says that the, the headmaster, if they determine that the child is a mature minor, can determine for themselves whether they're a boy or a girl. And the school will facilitate that, including allowing the child to come to school in one set of clothes and change into the other sex's clothes at school, be referred to by another name, and then get changed and go back and not tell mum and dad. Now, for the love of God, how imbecilic must you be as a parent to think that the school should have the right to do that? Now, unfortunately, parents have been persuaded that they have no rights over their kids. So, again, in answer to your question, they are trying to wake us up. They are trying to show us what was intended. The digital currency may start. I don't think it will be fully rolled out. And if it is, it won't last long. Yeah, I agree uh, with all that too there, Ricardo. Um, very, very well put out. Same same views there, mate. Uh, just as well from the US, uh, you know, in Australia, I follow flight radar a lot, a lot of military comms. Uh, we have had a lot of US presence here the last month, and I mean a lot. We got the sub over in WA, and we've had the US... Uh, a US carrier fly from Sydney uh, over to WA. I think it was last week under cloud cover over Australia. So um, we do have a lot of presence here. They're just doing it very strategically. And uh, follow the earthquake uh, radar, and you can always follow the Dumbs War quite easily if you know what you're looking for. Reach out to me, Ricardo, if uh, you need someone on your team, mate. Thank you. Thanks, mate. Thanks, Dale. Um, I think Kenny is next. Um, I know that some of you admins are seeing hands that I'm not, so let's just do our best here. It's just crazy how we're being attacked tonight. So, Kenny, go ahead. Hey, you there, guys? Ricardo? Yep. Hey, how are you? I'm up in um, Blackwater, Central Queensland. Part of the um, the mining group up here that I was speaking to John Wilson a fair while ago when they come and started forcing these jabs on us. Now, these mining organisations, whether they're globalist organisations or whoever they are, they're a big part of the Central Queensland community and all around Australia. There's a lot of, a lot of people and a, a lot of communities involved. And what happens to these globalists? When all this goes down, do we take over these organisations and run them ourselves? You're talking about a corporation? Yeah, a lot of them are corporations, yeah, and a lot of them are funded through BlackRock, Vanguard, State Street. They, they all belong to that, and you, can, and you can tell the ones that push the narrative. Um, these people at BHP, I worked at BHP, I was forced out of my job. I've, I've gone through four mining jobs now to keep up with it, but... They won't stop me, but what happens to these organisations and these billion-dollar sites with all this infrastructure? Do we take them over and run them under our government and our country and and kick out the ones that are no good and keep the ones that are good? 
the short answer to that is yes, because not just the mining corporations, but there are a lot of uh, corporations and, and and sovereign governments that have inflicted upon Australia a, a heinous crime. Now, what's the reparations? Well, I don't know. Pick a couple of trillion dollars to start with. And as surety, what we can do is we can get a hold of these uh, the the assets belonging to these corporations, make sure that the people who have been who have suffered as a result of their decision. Now, the leadership of these corporations will be held personally liable. I'm sure that's the job of the White Hats. I'll take care of that. But what's left behind must continue to function. Now, the reason for that is simple. What the and how how it's subsequently run is up for debate. I don't doubt. But I'd certainly like to have a say in exactly how it's done because the Australian people have paid for this and they need to be compensated. But having said that. What the uh, the black hats want to do is collapse the economy, so it causes food riots and and uh, and the like, break down the the food chain, the supply chain rather for food, and make us collapse, make the economy collapse. So anything that we do that collapses the econ economy, that is, if we act precipitously with any of these actions, and if it causes disruption, then the black hats win by us being clumsy. We cannot afford to be clumsy, and so people need a job to make money to buy food to keep their family going. That must continue. How it continues in detail, as I said, I'm sure the White House have an opinion. I have an opinion as well. But the work must continue. The, the infrastructure must continue to be used. It must be maintained. The world must continue. The leadership, the corrupted leadership, will be removed and then progressively we'll move from where we are from where we need to be. But if there's a drop, instead of being a, at a 50-foot drop to the concrete below, it's a six-inch drop into a nice soft safety net to make sure that we continue moving forward, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does, Ricardo. Yep, yep. No, no worries. Thanks for your call anyway. Um, I've been following for a while. I talked to John Wilson a lot. And, um, yeah, I mentioned to him a while ago there when they started forcing the jabs on us and he made contact with you. And I watched that interview. It was pretty good. But anyway, thanks for your time, mate. Thanks, mate. See you, bud. Thanks, Kenny. Sandra, you're next, sweetie. Are you still here, Sandra? Go ahead, Pauline, please. I just unmuted Sandra. Sorry, I was slow. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Sandra. Hello, you there? Sorry. Was that me that was asked to talk now, speak now? Yes, go ahead, Sandra and Pauline, if you could go next. Um, we're having trouble seeing people's names, Hi. so I appreciate no, your I think it No, I think it was me that time, sorry. <laughs> no, go ahead, Sandra. <laughs> Hi, Ricardo, how are you? Um, I met you when you came to Melbourne. Um, it was a pleasure meeting you then and still a pleasure listening to you. Um, I try and um, listen to you as often as I can. Um, I've got two questions. One question is, um, I feel like I'm not doing enough um, to help. I've tried to wake up with a lot of my family and friends, but it doesn't seem to be working very well. Um, I came up with some sort of idea with um, the Newmanberg sort of um, law and that was established after World War II. 
um, the laws and, and all that kind of stuff that they put in place to not let this happen again, and it has happened again, um, could we use some of that um, knowledge and some of that loyals, uh, lawyer stuff to try and, um, um, uh, what do you call it, like challenge the governments? That's my first question. <clears throat> yeah, okay, first question. Uh, challenging the government. The entire system's corrupted. The judges, okay. the lawyers, the courts, the police, everyone is owned by yeah. the Masonic filth. That's why we hit the Masons yeah. so hard. And that's why yeah. what we did is we, our work around is to go straight to the Governor-General and, and yeah. force his hands. Yeah, we, we're not interested. Now, having said that, some people yes. are moving through the courts and having some success on, on an individual yeah. level. Uh, penalties yeah. for breaking COVID, for example, that's fine. But in terms of that strategic objective of... of uh, outflanking the the government they will just the the process is the punishment you'll spend time and money so the best thing we can do is continue to wake people up now having said that those who don't want to be woken please don't waste your time yes. please just be open to find people who are open to it and a little bit at a time and just start yes. waking up that's the best thing you can do okay it's very second hard question? to yeah, not, yeah sorry um the second question is um oh gee i forgot now <laughs> I'm so sorry. Um, oh, I had You're something right. to do with uh, that. Sorry, Ricardo. But, um, yeah, uh, um, my thing is what could I do as an individual? Could I be writing letters to the governor and um, putting a bit of pressure on him? Uh, more, if you want to write letters, first step yes. is always wake up as many people as you can. Write letters and drop in letter yes. boxes. But that's going oh, if to, you, if you're up for that. Yeah, yes, you can I do am that. up for that. Yeah, all right. Okay. That's a good idea. Thank is, you so much. The other thing you can do is speak to your local member and write them letters because you're paying them right. and write them letters say, okay. please answer this very simple question and just put pressure on them. Okay, I will. Thank you so much. Thank you, Sandra. And Pauline, thank, thank you, you for thank your patience. You. Go ahead, Pauline Hall. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and thank you, for Ricardo, for being on here today. It's absolutely eye-opening as usual listening to you. Um, my question was really looking going forward. I'm, I'm assuming that um, if we are, as other governments around the world, will be about 10% of the size that has been in the past. Um, and I'm also assuming that Canberra is a, a bed of thieves and it may not be the place where government will, well, the future will not be a administration area. Is there any thought as to um, what will happen then? Or will we move back to the old Parliament House? Thank you. Um, okay. On, on the size of the government, yeah, it will be much smaller than it currently is because we're going to push as much authority down as close to the people as possible. As I said, we're going to have counties where you get to elect your judges and your sheriffs. And so you get immediate responses to problems in your, your local area. So that means the state's not involved. There are state there are issues that states should get involved, and they will, and the federal government will focus entirely only on what a federal government must do. Again, pushing uh, as much responsibility and authority down to where the people reside, because you are the source of all, all authority. Uh, in relation to Canberra, uh, 
a lot of money has gone into that place, so it'll be up to the people to figure out what they want to do. I mean, I've heard all sorts of wonderful suggestions like dropping a mother of God bomb on uh, on Parliament House and filming it. But i got to tell you, there's a, there's a lot of stuff that people need to see for themselves about what's been going on. They need evidence. They need to see the tunnels. They need to see the evidence for their own eyes, what was going on in Canberra. So we, we create several generations of Australians that know for, them, for themselves what occurred. It's just not a video <clears throat> on YouTube which can be falsified. And so Canberra itself, what we do, billions having been spent there, It'll be up to the people. Personally, I don't want to go back to the place. I think it stinks. Uh, and there are people that live and work there, and they, and, they, and they need to be supported in terms of the economy and their future as well. Uh, there are any number of options in terms of opening up Canberra for, to businesses, the government proper. My, personally, I want nothing to do with Canberra. It, uh, it stinks. It does. But in terms of the buildings and everything else, man, you can imagine having free tours for every Australian to go and see the truth of the lies that have been perpetrated upon the Australian people for decades and decades and decades. Thank you. Appreciated. Thank you so much, Paul. <clears throat> um, I can only see one hand at the moment, and that's Marks. I'm, I'm unmuting you now, Marks. Go ahead and speak. Thank you. Are you still there, Marks? Yep. Can you hear me? Yes. Go ahead, sir. Barricado, uh, honour to speak to you, mate. I've been listening to you for a time. Uh, I wanted to know, in regards to, uh, I'm a concreter, and that, I've been doing it for 30 years. When it all actually does go down, and it work after it all happens in regards to work? And out. Sorry, you dropped out, Marks. Can you say that you're a concreter? Are you are you asking about future work for concreters? Oh, not future work. Just when it all happens, it's going like I'm creating anything else. So I'm just working out when it all happens. How do we move on with workwise and all that sort of stuff? How do we move on with what? Sorry, you broke up again. With so work. What he means after the event. Ricardo, I think, is that what you mean after the event? Correct, correct. Okay, yeah, work work for some will continue as usual. If you're in construction, there's going to be a massive infrastructure program involving the entire country from a railway that'll circumnavigate the entire continent through to the iron boomerang across the north of Australia between the iron ore and the coal. There's going to be, and that's just the big, uh, national strategic infrastructure. We're going to be repopulating the rural areas because one of the objectives of the globalists was to get to was to strip the rural areas of population and shut them into their alleged smart cities. Well, we're going to reverse that. So we're going to be building infrastructure in all the towns, hospitals, schools, roads, airports, rails, the lot. So there's work there. We're going to be uh, allocating that hectare of land to Australians to start growing these communities. And so there's going to be the need for housing and shops and other infrastructures while private private construction will be required. So the nature of work, particularly in construction, will be huge. It'll it'll take a bit to get there, but it'll take off. Um, the locations might be different. 
you're going to have to travel perhaps because what most of these corrupted property developers is they all want it as close as possible to their office in central sydney or central melbourne well that's going to change but there's going to be a lot of a lot of construction a lot of work and the sheer wealth of the um the people they're going to be looking and here's the thing if you're paying two percent expenditure tax and that's it all of a sudden you're going to have 10k 20k 50k 100k 500k a million bucks sitting in a bank looking for work and you're going to be looking for investment so we'll be having australian bonds which will be used to create this infrastructure and that includes things like the uh the bradfield scheme which is damming the rivers way up north in tully coming through queensland and greening greening the entire state of queensland so that big brown flat turns green it then plugs into the murray darling basin so we've got plenty of water in new south wales making its way through the murray and also down to as far as um uh, south australia so the buddies in, in victor harbour get their water as well so massive strategic infrastructure construction the repopulating of the rural areas uh, which is going to be both public and private expenditure so there's going to be a lot of work for a lot of people the people that won't have a lot of work will be big farmer types the bureaucracy will be out of work um, people like that doctors who like popping who like uh, uh, diagnosing tablets on behalf of big pharma they're gone uh, those that build the country not the parasites but those that build the country whether they're teachers uh, building workers you name it though there's going to be plenty of work because we are literally rebuilding this nation so mate in terms of work you're going to be flat out awesome news Gloria, you're unmuted. I'm sorry it took us so long to get to you, sweetie. Go ahead. <clears throat> Hi, everyone. How are we going to get rid of this parasite and get justice? I want to get rid of, of all of them. How are we going to do that? I don't want... Which parasite are you talking about? All of them. All these, all of these people who have been complicit in these crimes. Oh, yeah. Okay. Most of the, most of the top have already been taken out. What's, got, what's happening now is the middle level, and by middle level, I mean prime ministers and people like that. The middle level are now panicking. I'm talking heads of the pub, and I'm talking about high court judges. They're just middle level scum. The White Hats know who they are. <clears throat> Nobody will escape. Nobody will escape. The lower level are about to get this awful wake-up call when they realise their entire life is about to be exposed. They will be gone. Gloria, not one will escape. Not one. During, there's a wonderful video by Robert David Steele, and um, he says, we have it all. And when he says, we have it all, this is the National Security Agency, the NSA in the United States, which has recorded every email, every text, every website that everyone has ever visited. They have it all. Everybody's going down. They will go. They will be forced to pay. And uh, people, people say... Please let it, it will. It will. Because one of the big problems is that nobody's ever had to 
face the consequences of their decisions. Everybody gets away with blue murder, not anymore. Now, when people say to me, oh, you're too violent, Ricardo, because you want to hang people, well, what's an appropriate penalty for somebody that wants the death of billions of people? What's an appropriate penalty for someone who has raped and killed babies? They have forfeited their right to live on this planet. And so they will be hung. Now, the people in old school, and now the people need to see this. They just can't be told it. They need to see it. And it's got to be burnt into our memory. So, for example, when we have whatever the new parliament house looks like, we're going to have every prime minister up there and we'll leave their paintings up there, but stenciled in, spray painted it with a red stencil, will be hung for treason, hung for treason, uh, life, um, life imprisonment for sedition. And if they're innocent, we'll leave it up. But they're going to stay up. And when the kids do their civic tour of the national capital, they're going to get a lesson. That applies to the, uh, the Australian Defence Force as well and, and, and the High Court. You know, he was a former Chief Justice of the High Court that was raping babies hung for pedophilia, hung for raping babies. And the picture will stay there in the high court. So every bloody lawyer that walks in there knows that if they put so much as a toe over the line, their life is forfeit. They will all, every one of them, pay. Thank you. Thank you. And yes, thank you, Ricardo. <laughs> all right, um, I believe Pirates next. Pirate, your mic's unmuted. G'day everyone. G'day Ricardo. So good to be able to say g'day to you, mate. Hats off to your work. We'll follow on your page. Oh, just I can't believe what you've managed to achieve and um, I think you should be the leader of Australia right now, mate. And frankly, according to all of us in the room, I think you are. <laughs> so thank you to, to you and your family. The sacrifices that you guys have made is absolutely amazing. My question goes to uh, the, the land distribution. Uh, recently, 